but the good news is, is we're actually seeing deals, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly in the capital markets, but the, these deals are sizing, let's say a five and a half percent all in coupon. Uh, they're sizing to a 55, but as high as a, a 60% LTV. So we're finally nice. starting to see the leverage come back. Let's get ready to scale. guys, welcome to yet another episode. Joining back with me again today is my colleague, Ryan Razaleski, and we are going to be discussing the state of the market. So Ryan, for starters, let's jump right in and talk about what is basically an overview that you'll give us for how 2023 is playing out differently than 2022. Sure. Yeah, it's a a great segue and and starting point because 2023 had such a what I what I define as uh, optimistic yet yet conservative outlook, and and nobody knew where things are going to shake out. I mean, and predominantly it was it was based on interest rates, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, a lot of research has has come out about first quarter of 2023, and re- really the concept or, or the the overarching theme was that that the multifamily real estate market is starting to um, stabilize. And what I mean by that is, is we're coming off a period of, of tremendously low vacancy, high rent growth, and uh, a period of low interest rates, which we, we, I'm not going to harp on that any further, but um, vacancy quarter over quarter. So to start the first quarter of 23 compared to fourth quarter of 22, um, increased about 30 basis points, just shy of 5%, which is your, your typical industry standard of, of vacancy when, when you're underwriting, for example, or when you're looking at lending. Um, that's your threshold. So that that's where we're finally trending to. Um, and we actually saw a negative absorption of about 1900 units in the first quarter, which um, is an increase or an improvement from fourth quarter 2022. However, um, what, what that basically says is that there there's a, a pre-leading um, demand that, that we're anticipating. So we actually anticipate second quarter absorption to be favorable and, and positive. Average effective rents for the first quarter of 23 grew four and a half percent. Ah, good. I'm actually glad to hear that because the reality is that there was no way that the type of rent growth we were seeing was going to be sustainable indefinitely. So actually, I think that's a very healthy indicator that multifamily is indeed stabilizing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really what we're benchmarking is the first quarter of 2022, which rents grew um, on record 15.3% year over year. So it, it's it's just an astonishing number. So the 4.5% in first quarter of 23, though, is still encouraging because the, the pre-pandemic average in Q1, based on seasonality, is about 2.7%. So we're still well above that. So nice. um, just showing that the, the absorption and the supply and dynamic, the supply and de- demand dynamic is starting to, like I said, stabilize. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, as much as rents fell, uh, rents grew four and a half percent year over year for the quarter. When you're looking at a, a sequential quarterly basis, rents came down about ten basis points, which is is right in line with seasonal trends this time of year. Um, so nothing alarming from that perspective. But the the overall uh, kind of general topic of conversation that we've seen and, and heard. Um, quite frequently for the first quarter of 23 is transaction volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're down approximately, I think the number was 63.7%. So just shy of wow. 64% year over year in, in total transaction volume. That dollar amount was around just shy of $25 billion. And, and not only that, 
we, we really like to compare to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so from the years 2013 to 2019, for example, transaction volume in this year was down 25% compared to the average for that time period pre-pandemic. And what do you think are the factors that are making that come about? Yeah, there's a, a myriad of, of factors. I mean, everybody knows it's it's the interest rate environment. It's it's the the potential recessionary looming, or whether we're in it today. Um, it, it's the level of consumer confidence and, and just the the bid gap spread, the bid ask spread between um, buyers and sellers. And mm-hmm. we we have seen that contract, which we'll talk about um, once we get to kind of the capital markets overview. But um, it, it's really fundamentally comes down to the uncertainty in the markets. Interesting. And, you know, you you did touch on it. So let's talk about the capital markets. Uh, but before we get into all of those details, let's make sure that we first have a word from our sponsor. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital. Be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. All right. So, Ryan, let's dig in. Where are we at with the feds now? How is the economy looking? Um, You know, there have been developments as of just last week. Today, it's actually May 10th. So we know that the feds came out with another announcement that uh, no one was particularly excited about. Walk us through it. Yeah. And and last time I think I was on the show, we we were talking about the Fed increases and we thought that they were going to taper off. Um, But then again, that's like me saying my wife's going to stop with the midnight snacks, but um, (laughs) I'm no longer going to speculate. So I'll believe it when I see it. But um, (laughs) so last week, yeah, the Fed's increased another 25 basis points. So they're they're starting to moderate. However, it's not necessarily increased because there's probably 50 50 percent of viewers would think that rates were going to rise, 50% might thought they were going to hold flat. However, it's it's the verbiage that was used. And I mentioned this last time, it's it's not the amount that was increased. It was, what is the future outlook? What are they anticipating? So inflation starting to cool slightly. Um, we're, we're almost actually back to where we were this time in 2021, around four, I think it dipped down to about four, and four, four two in 2021. We're slightly above that. Um, but it's optimistic to hear that we, we're kind of stabilizing or we're holding rates. Um, I'm not going to go on a, a limb here and say we're actually going to see a reduction moving forward. We, we might see them hold flat, um, assuming that inflation continues to cool. I mean, that, that's, that's really the benchmark and the indication at this point. But um, it, it's encouraging to at least hear that the feds are um, verbally stating that they might back off. Yeah, it's definitely reassuring. I know that investors are concerned about it. We're obviously watching the numbers very closely. And I agree with you. I definitely don't think that we're ever going to see the rates at what they were. Um, but, you know, even a leveling off uh, would be helpful at this point, for sure. sure. No, nor do I think I want to see rates that low again, because then you're going to see all, all of the um, volatility in, in the capital markets and, and buying sub four caps and three caps at that point. So I, I hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely a solid point. Now, uh, basically, 
how are you taking all of this into account now with our underwriting? How is this impacting underwriting across the industry and even for you personally? Yeah, so loan assumptions are still trading for a premium, but these deals that we're looking at that are trading free and clear, um, we're, we're trying to take advantage of all the agency programs where in fourth quarter of last year, we were really leveraging the, the agency five-year program, which was a five-year term um, in addition to full five years of IO. So you can, you can generate the cash flows and um, only make interest payments. So you can distribute more to your investors. However, um, the agencies, Fetty and Franny, are starting to pull back on that. So a lot of our underwriting reflects um, a seven or 10-year term with five to seven years of IO, depending on the loan program, but also with a flexible uh, prepayment buy down. So hmm. we're trying to cater that depending on the business plan. So if we find a deal that um, is in a great infill location that we, we believe um, is going to appreciate in value over a seven to 10 year period, um, we'll hold the asset for longer and we won't use that buy down program. However, if we're gonna implement and, and execute a, a value add program, we anticipate selling prior to the term, um, we'll account for that. So it all depends on the business plan, but- And typically uh, what do those, what do those prepayment penalties look like, by the way? It, it's, it can be relatively complex, but also, the, I mean, there's different options. There, there's a, a fixed percentage, there's yield maintenance, defeasance, which tracks the treasury yields, but um, it, it can be anywhere from, let's say, one to one and a half percent of your loan amount, but that's all contingent upon exact how many years are left on the term, um, the principal balance, and, and a myriad of different factors. Um, but but the good news is, is we're actually seeing deals, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly in the capital markets, but the, these deals are sizing, let's say, a five and a half percent all-in coupon. Uh, they're sizing to a 55, but as high as a, a 60% LTV. So we're finally nice. starting to see the leverage come back, um, which reduces the amount of equity required. Um, and it's 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 a favorable aspect and, and not coming back to, again, we talked about the bridge debt um, that was was leveraging up 80%, which mm -hmm. is, is very high risk. But um, back to 65, 70% is, is your typical agency fixed rate leverage or, or at least comfort um, level, which we're, we're slowly starting to get back to, which is a good sign. Okay. So Ryan, last time you were on, we were talking about, you know, one of the things that is, that was really prevalent at that time was a massive disconnect between buyers and sellers expectations. Yep. So what are we seeing today as far as how assets are getting priced and where buyers and sellers are coming to the table as far as negotiation? Sure. And there, there's a lot of variables involved in that, but in aggregate, um, we're, we're reluctant to say that the, the spread has maintained. Matter of fact, it, it's collapsed and, and matter of fact, cut, cut in half, essentially. So huh. I, I believe the figure I was mentioning, a lot of the deals we were looking at from, from the initial whisper relative to what we were comfortable bidding on, given the interest rates and where they were, we were seeing a 10% discount from what the whisper is in the market. And that's kind of shrunk to sub 5%. So the last 20 deals we've underwritten and the last, let's say, 10 that we've actively bid on, um, we, we were sub 5% from, from the initial offer. So, and, and a lot of that comes down to is the interest rates haven't really changed because we've always built in some, some um, conservative numbers in um, the, the debt quotes that we're receiving just to account for those fluctuations. However, um, the, the, the pricing has, has drastically come down. So whether that's the brokers setting expectations and really advising their clients, because at the end of the day, I mean, the brokers are a critical piece of the equation um, and they're almost walking through the entire process and, and trying to articulate to um, sellers that this is what's happening. Th these are my, my high quality clients. These, these, these groups we've taken down 10, 15 deals with, and this is what they're seeing in the market. These are what the return expectations are. So we need to slightly adjust. So, as I mentioned, we, we were seeing um, 
cap rates decompress. And, and now to the point where the average cap rate that traded in, in the first quarter of this year was around 5.3%. Mm -hmm. So with the majority of trades being between five and five and a half and, and the cost of debt is around that five and a half. So we're almost at that inflection point um, where, where the cap rate is actually above the cost of debt. Mm -hmm. um, so, so as I mentioned, long story short, we, we are seeing um, a more realistic number come out in, in, in the markets. Good. That's extremely encouraging. And I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it really um, is a function of why transaction volume was 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 down 60 percent plus this year. Um, and, and a lot of it comes down to we, we were speaking very openly with brokers to understand, hey, what, what are what are you seeing in the market? All the mm -hmm. BOVs you're putting together, all the groups that, that are anticipating to sell this year. Um, what's the general sentiment? And they were actually advising their clients to hold off the beginning of this quarter mm -hmm. um, to, to really see where, where interest rates stabilize. Let, let's get the, the uh, investment groups comfortable with what they anticipate to, to pay from a debt perspective. Um, and, and now they're starting to come online. So really high quality deals, a lot of the Sun Belts trading. Mm -hmm. um, so as I mentioned, the cap rates fluctuate based on market asset class, but um, all in all, we're, we're seeing a contraction between the, the, the bid ask spread. Good. I'm very glad. Now, I'm curious, too, from an operational standpoint, how are operations looking now compared to simply where we were a year ago? So that's a great question. From an operating perspective, we haven't seen much fluctuate. We were talking about in fourth quarter last year that expense discipline was, mm -hmm. was a top priority. Um, and we are seeing that come to fruition, especially groups that are preparing for a sale. Um, they're really trying to position their financial statements to, to really squeeze every dollar out of the transaction. Um, and, and how they're doing that is they're, they're really putting emphasis on the expenses, whether it's, it's reducing their payroll, um, by sharing resources with adjacent properties that are, are close by. Uh, but we're also seeing reduced terms that are being outsourced and, and they're taking their employees and doing, instead of contract painting, uh, they're doing that in-house. And, and same thing, we're seeing an increase with uh, resident referrals and uh, locator fees, which are, are used to bring in uh, prospective residents. So they're reducing their marketing expense, which really hasn't seen the largest increase year over year as, as taxes, insurance and sure. um, service contracts and, and other 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 GL line items. But um, you can clearly see that operators are, are being very specific with where they're spending their money. Yeah, well, and right now you have to be for sure. Absolutely. And then one, one other good point that we're seeing is um, concessions and, and bad debt. So both of those are impacting loan proceeds. So we're being very cognizant in our underwriting and seeing on the T12. Um, because the court systems were backed up in, in really, I mean, this is it's market specific. So Atlanta was one where court systems were back up for, for 12 months at a time. We're starting to see those large write-offs on the financial statements, which is impacting our proceeds because the lenders are seeing that. Mm -hmm. However, concessions is another big topic too, because of the supply wave that's coming in. A lot of product um, is starting to offer free rent. And not only is it because of the, the supply pressure, but it's also because rents are starting to moderate, but they want to hold the integrity and the equity in the rent roll. Mm -hmm. So what they'll do is they'll offer a, a free month's concession, but they'll hold your rents, um, which, which is, is favorable from a lot of different perspectives. Like I said, you hold the integrity of your rent roll, but also upon renewal, it, it supports that process because you're not discounting somebody's rent. If, if they're getting, let's say, a $1,500 monthly rent and they're discounted one month up front, 
they're not concessioning to be the net effect of 1400 and then the renewal increases based off that um, it's going to be a larger number than than it would be if they held their rent at 1500 so it's a it's a consumer uh, perspective but yeah those are some of the things we're seeing from from an operating perspective very cool all right well this has definitely been helpful do you have any um predictions or projections that you want to make for what we'll be talking about next quarter? Well, that's a great question. I, I think transaction volume and where cap rates can finally stabilize and, and where interest rates end up. I, I think that's going to be the, the core topic of conversation to see if transaction volume really picks up um, coming off a, a 60% decline year over year. Yeah, interesting. Well, we will see. Now, last but not least, we're going to be a little bit biased this week because we've decided to focus specifically on one particular market that we currently have an offering in, which is Phoenix, Arizona. So we're going to dub this the Market Minute and just talk about a few factors that make Phoenix a very attractive market for investing. So Ryan, take it away. Yeah, so Phoenix, there's a this this has been the headline in a lot of um, different outlets and I am very bullish on the Phoenix market, despite the headlines talking about mm -hmm. the, the massive supply wave that's coming in. However, that's that's concentrated to central Phoenix, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, but but really what it comes down to with the Phoenix market is now is a great time to buy there. And, and there's some viewers might disagree with this. But again, I, I am very bullish on this market for, for a variety of different reasons. It, it really comes down to the fundamentals. We, we are talking about a near term supply wave that yes will increase vacancies and will moderate rents however pricing has adjusted so we we are seeing cap rates trade here at five and a half percent um and and really the economy is the story here one of the fastest growing economies in 2022 which is a diverse type of employment base as well. So historically, it's been a lot of the housing sector was, was the focal point of this economy. However, that's drastically changed over the last two decades. Okay, so what kind of things have actually changed? I mean, how are we looking when it comes to employment, industry? Give us, you know, kind of an overall demographic breakdown, if you will. Sure. Yeah, it, like I mentioned, uh, the, the Phoenix market was historically concentrated in the housing sector. Uh, but it, it's approximately 14% still um, relative to the 10% national average. But we're seeing a, a, a tremendous amount of growth in education, healthcare, manufacturing. And we'll get into some specifics momentarily. But um, from, from a finance perspective, 10% of the local economy is employed in finance relative to 6% nationally. Um, in addition to 17% business services relative to about 14.5% nationally. So above the national average in high paying employment or in high paying jobs is what we're seeing in the Phoenix market. Um, That's very and, encouraging. I also like their golf courses. Yeah, don't, don't we all. Um, but really, so, so banks, insurance companies and business service firms have, have moved here over the last five years or, or those that have already existed have expanded. The semiconductor investments have, have really taken note. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is really driven. It was a strategic decision by local leaders to invest in these companies. So um, Taiwan Semiconductor just, just announced a uh, $12 billion facility that's going to be opening up in, in the next couple of years, in addition to a second facility um, that, that could potentially bring 4,000 jobs, and it's going to total about a $40 billion investment. And these are high-paying industries, uh, excuse me, high-paying jobs, but they're also in 
um, an industry that that is is still in demand despite what's happening in the local economy because these microchips are are um, delivered globally. So we're we're talking about cell phones, laptops, automobiles, and um, uh, military jets. All, all of these are are required despite um, what's happening in the economy. So. That's fantastic, especially considering international tensions and our reliance on, you know, international sources. I think that's very significant. Absolutely. And, and two other industries that are really taking note are education and healthcare. Um, so last year, they've, they've grown about 5.9%. They've added about 20, 21,000 jobs. Um, but the, the future outlook is they're projecting to grow another 4% annually, which is what they've done over the last five years. Um, so re really favorable trends that... And very diverse, which I also appreciate. Exactly. And, and these are the components that, that really drive the fundamentals of, of multifamily real estate. Like I said, this is why developers are, are gaining attention because the future projections are, are very optimistic from an employment perspective. I mean, unemployment is 2.9% relative to three and three three four nationwide. So they're 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 clearly outperforming, um, and, and nobody anticipates that to to stop. Not to mention that the cost of living is also incredible out there. Correct. So that that's another topic of conversation. So uh, of the sixty one thousand residents that that moved to Phoenix, the greater Phoenix metro over the last year, um, were between the ages of 20, 21 to thirty four. So that, that's about 21% of the total population. And that, that's the prime renter cohort. Mm -hmm. So that, that's exactly these types of fundamentals is why we are bullish on this industry and, and or excuse me, on this market. But in, in to mention, pricing makes sense. So um, it, as long as your underwriting reflects a, a slight modest increase in vacancy rates and um, rent growth assumptions aren't, aren't optimistic in addition to your exit cap rate, this is an opportunity to, to truly buy high quality assets in, in growing markets, hold for, for two to three years and, and really wait for that transaction volume to pick back up once once things start to materialize and, and some of these opportunities and, and jobs start to start to really open. Absolutely. What I also find really cool about the market is that, uh, yes, there has been a lot of development, but there really is almost a cap per se on how much development can actually occur just because of the geographical structure of Phoenix. So first of all, we have, you know, uh, we have uh, Indian reservations and land that absolutely cannot be developed on. There's also the mountain ranges, which, you know, that can create a very uh, costly development project. So the reality is, is even though there's a lot of activity in that, at a certain point, they're going to literally run out of space. Yes. And, and that's why we are specifically focusing on infill locations for that exact reason. So 17% of, of the units that are under construction are really located in central Phoenix. Um, so th that that's one thing. I mean, th there's submarkets out there in, in the greater Phoenix metro that are still seeing um, very favorable rent growth. Vacancy still sub 5%. Um, so th there's a lot of different components around that. And, and to your point, um, when you think about a prospect, they, they look at two things when they're searching for an apartment, location and price. So if you're looking within a three, four mile location, specifically to the, the deal that we, we, we recently were awarded, there's only 400 units coming online or, or at least under construction over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, so, Certainly so not enough. That's exactly right. So it's it's the specific locations in which investors are seeking um, it is going to be critical to the success story of the Phoenix market. Now let's talk about migration. How much are we anticipating people are going to be actually moving into the area? What do we think the demand for housing is going to look like? And how affordable is it going to be for people to seek out housing as opposed to multifamily? 
So, Jeanette, Phoenix is a, a massive market. It's home to approximately 1.6 million residents, uh, effective the start of this year. Um, and it's actually the, the third large, highest growth market for, for migration trends um, for, for markets with over a million people. So awesome. the, the, the employment, the development, everything is dr- attracting um, the, these migration trends. And, and not only that, a lot of it stems, so the double digit rent growth and, and the record low vacancy rates were stemming from coastal migration in, in California, coming to uh, a higher, lower quality cost of living. Um, which which ultimately fueled investment activity. It drew mm-hmm. investor uh, development developers' attention, which is why we're seeing the supply waves. However, um, as I mentioned, we we added about sixty thousand residents um, this past year within that that twenty to thirty four um, age range, which is really driving those migration trends. And then the impact of that on affordability is these renters are forced to rent longer because those that would be home buyers can't afford a home because mortgages have increased 60% in, in the Phoenix metro area. So the demand pool has grown. So awesome. all, all of these fundamentals lean towards a, a favorable investment. Ryan, that was really helpful, and I appreciate you giving us a solid overview of the Phoenix market, which I think is very promising, as well as, you know, touching on where we are in the market today and maybe where we're going to go. In the meantime, for those of you listening, thank you so much for joining us. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Leave us some comments and let us know if there's some other subjects you'd like us to touch on. And in the meantime, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.